0: Welcome to the Bethany Covenant Church Sermon Podcast. We are a multi-generational community in Berlin, Connecticut. Our services are held Sundays at 9.30 a.m. And you can find out more about us at www.bethanycovenant.org. Would you join me in prayer. God of Abraham and God of today, would you open our eyes... As we look into your word, would you show us Jesus, and would you guide us by your spirit? Amen. Well, good morning. It's good to be with you all this morning. Welcome again, those who are joining online today. I'd like to thank Pastor Chris for preaching last week and introducing us to our new, our new sermon series. And last week, if you were here, you know that Chris opened up for us a glimpse into our current reality. Our culture, our time and place, in which culture and technology seem to be shifting at warp speed. Chris reminded us that even though so much that's happening around us might seem to be new, Solomon in the Old Testament book of Ecclesiastes reminds us that really there's nothing brand new under the sun. Nothing is truly new. Things appearing to be truly new might be older things with a new coat of paint, or maybe older things somehow resurfacing in new ways. And even if things aren't truly brand new and that they've never been seen before in any way, shape, or form, we have to admit this time we're living in feels different. It feels like an era of, of rapid change and uncertainty and complexity. And that in itself isn't anything new. Pastor Chris reminded us that human history typically and cyclically has had these periods of rapid change and periods of relative calm and stability. For the past few decades, at least, we know we've been in a season of rapid change. And the pandemic, in many ways, only accelerated what was already underway. When Jesus was about to return to heaven following his resurrection from the dead, he gave his disciples a mission. He sent them down the street and to the ends of the earth to preach the kingdom of God and to teach the way of Jesus. And the book of Acts in the New Testament tells the story of how that mission unfolded in the early life of the church in its first decades. In this record of the Acts of the Apostles, We see an imperfect church living out this mission, doing some great things, but suffering some serious missteps as well. The church, we see, engaged a challenging culture, and it did it with mixed results. And so we can learn a lot from both the positive and negative examples we see in the book of Acts. Last Sunday, Chris introduced us to three pillars of our cultural context that we need to take seriously as the church today if we're to have any hope of a kingdom impact in our time and place. These pillars characterize our cultural reality. And under the category of nothing new under the sun, as we look at these pillars, we see that the early church and Acts faced similar cultural realities. And so over these next three weeks together, we'll look at these pillars as a foundation The pillars of complexity, consumerism, and chaos. As we live in this gray zone, this time that feels like we're in between what has come before us, and as we enter something that's a new sort of normal. And this week, we focus on the pillar of complexity. Last week, Chris highlighted for us that complexity is different than complication. Complicated things have a lot of moving parts, But they still function linearly, so that when there is some input or action on that complex system, or excuse me, complicated system, the output, the reaction, can be pretty well predicted. You can think of an old-fashioned clock with lots of gears and springs and moving parts. And some of these were very complicated, especially the ones that had different chimes at different times and sometimes... uh, animated scenes that would be activated on the hour, those were complicated pieces, but when that clock was set up and put into motion, its behavior would be extremely predictable as long as it was in good working order. Complex systems, on the other hand, have opportunities for lots of different inputs. And the relationships and connections between the different parts of a complex system may not always be completely understood. As Chris said last week, if we pull on one thread of a complex system, it may have unexpected or even inexplicable results. And for an example of a complex system, you can think of the global supply chain. The chain for electronic parts. And you think about the economic and geopolitical, and natural resource, and technological, and human elements that go into that complex system. Microchip shortages are much harder to predict and understand than when that cuckoo is going to pop out of the clock. Today's complex culture has us connected, connected as a global community in, in more ways and in more different ways than at any other time in the past, that's undeniable. A result of these complex connections, if we just use social media as one example, is that individuals now have the opportunity to define and promote themselves as never before possible. One person can have a global presence. A person can become a brand, can become a sensation globally almost overnight. As traditional boundaries of geography and clan associations, even language, dissolve in our complex global social network, each individual has the possibility of standing alone, of differentiating, according to his or her own invention and definition of self. In fact, our complex culture tends to encourage that kind of self-definition. Sociologists and other scientists call this the process of atomization in which elements of a structure are differentiated from their structure and broken down into their component parts. People in our current culture are encouraged to become their best selves, whatever that is, independently and according to their own preferences and definition often without the context of a family structure or some other group with a shared history. And this tendency toward atomization could have been a factor in the early church. If we consider the mandate and mission that Jesus gave his followers, we see where some might want to rise to the top as differentiated individuals. Jesus told his followers, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. And then just before ascending to heaven, Jesus told them, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So in these statements, Jesus gave his disciples a specific and strategic mission. And then he he encouraged them and reminded them that they would have the power, supernaturally, to pull off everything that Jesus was telling them to do. And so it's quite possible, I think, that this combination of challenge and empowerment could have resulted in a form of rugged individualism, a kind of first-century atomization. Because if we think about it, we see that Jesus sent them on this difficult but exciting mission and said they'd be empowered to do it. They'd have whatever they needed to accomplish it. And so we can imagine any given disciple thinking, that they might play a starring role in these events. They've been given an exciting work to do, and they're given the power and authority to do it. So maybe they'd play a starring role in the events that proceeded from this mandate and mission. These disciples could have branded themselves, distinguishing themselves from their compatriots. But I think it's safe to conclude that it was definitely for the best that this isn't how church life unfolded in those early decades. We see in Acts that the early church didn't dissociate into a collection of independent individuals and personalities. Instead, the church integrated into a mutually supportive community. And Acts 2 gives us a picture of what that community looked like in their cultural context. We read that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. And so on the surface, as we look at this picture in Acts 2, it may seem like a relatively stripped-down, streamlined version of church, kind of a simple version of church, especially compared to uh, today's relatively complex structures which include usually a physical structure of a church building. But I think if we take a closer look at Acts 2, we see that what was going on there actually was a complex organization. Complex meaning that there were interconnections between the various parts. This was a connected community. We're told that the believers were physically often together, eating in homes, worshiping at the temple, gathering to hear teaching sharing the things they had and selling their possessions so that needs might be met. It's clear, though, that sometimes people held on to property so that as needs emerged down the road, those properties and possessions could be sold. We see the church meeting needs and largely taking care of itself, taking care of one another in an organic fashion. Last week, Pastor Chris mentioned in... That the snapshot we have of the early church in Acts is sometimes held up as the ideal model of the church. If only we could get back to this Acts 2 passage, then everything would be okay. We'd have our our problems solved. But the rest of the book of Acts makes it clear that what's being provided in this passage was not the ongoing model for all places and times for the early church, even in those early decades. It's clear that what being, what's being provided is a description rather than a prescription for what the church is meant to look like. If we read the rest of Acts, it's obvious that even this level of sacrificial generosity here in Acts 2 is not necessarily the rule among early congregations. But there is something powerful that we're given here in Acts 2. Bible scholar William Willimon in his commentary on the book of Acts, says this, the order of activity in Acts 2, 42 to 47 is not presented as a primitive order of worship from which we can construct an early Sunday service pattern. Luke, the author of Acts, is fond of giving this kind of descriptive summary. More importantly, Acts two forty-two to 47 focuses our attention on the main concern of the whole book of Acts, The community, the community. In Acts, individual personalities have their place in the story, particularly Peter and Paul. But are they the purpose of the story? Neither Peter nor Paul is developed with much depth of detail. Luke had little interest in apostolic biography or developing a primitive lives of the saints. The protagonist of Acts is the Holy Spirit enlivening and driving the young church. I've heard it said that it might be, we might be better off to title the book of Acts not the Acts of the Apostles, but the Acts of the Holy Spirit, who is indeed the driving force, the main character in this book. When Luke, as the author of Acts, places Pentecost at the very beginning of his story, he's making it clear, no Holy Spirit, No church. It's the spirit of the living, resurrected, ascended Jesus Christ who guides the early church, who makes anything good possible. The Holy Spirit is indeed the main character in the story of the church. It's the Holy Spirit who guides the church away from a sense of atomization and individualism, even though the complex society that they were living in with the Greeks and Romans around them, their society would have encouraged that type of self-elevation. But the spirit instead nudges the church toward community and interconnectedness. Because the church was meant to be a whole. The church was meant to center on activities that people actually just can't do alone. Sharing, sacrificing for someone else, gathering, Fellowshipping, worshiping. William Willimon comments further on this text. The church is in fellowship because the spirit has provided koinonia, the Greek word for fellowship or communion. Some have remarked that the real miracle of Pentecost is to be found here, that from so diverse assemblage of people from every nation under heaven, a unified body of believers is formed. This is not merely warm hearted, human initiated, brotherly and sisterly love. This is a fellowship that produces awe, signs, and wonders, not the least of which is their willingness to share all they had. End of quote. And so we see the church in Acts 2 as an interconnected, complex community, sharing and sacrificing and giving as they gathered. so they glorify God through their words and through their actions. They glorify God just by the very existence of their community that was in many ways so countercultural. And we're told that because of the witness of this community and because of the unfolding work of the Holy Spirit among them, God added daily to their number. God added daily to the number of those being saved by coming to faith in Jesus Christ. Today, we live in a time and place in which connected community is the antidote to an obsession with individualization and atomization. Connected community in a culture that seeks to tear it down in so many ways. It's not just how we navigate life, not just how we kind of hole up together and say, well, let's just pull our walls in and, and connect to one another. It's actually how we engage community, engage culture, in a way that might display the love and power of God. Our sense of community with one another still matters, just as it did in Acts 2. And perhaps more than anything, we see that the Holy Spirit is still the protagonist of the church, still the main um, the main individual in our community's story, certainly much more than any one of us. You may have heard that recently a group of about 35 of us, ministry team members, staff, leadership team members, committed church members gathered together at a workshop uh, led and sponsored by our East Coast Conference staff. And this This workshop was designed to help us get at the why of our existence as Bethany Covenant Church. Why does Bethany exist in this time, in this place? It was an amazingly Holy Spirit-led day. And coming out of that time together was this statement. We connect and serve so that generations discover and experience the transforming love of God. We do things with a purpose, and that purpose is, yes, a bit for ourselves, but mostly for others. We want more people among more generations to discover and experience for themselves God's transforming love. So you'll be hearing a lot more about this statement in the weeks and months ahead, but this morning I want to point out that that this word connect is actually one that God had put on my heart about a month before this workshop. As I was thinking about, like, what is it that makes Bethany Bethany? That's a word that came to mind. We connect. We're a connectional people. We connect with God as we gather in worship. We connect with each other in fellowship. We seek to connect to those who are new among us. We're open. We connect through serving side by side. We connect to hear stories that span generations. We connect financially by giving together, recognizing that together we can accomplish more. We connect a lot around food. And in all of this, I think our connecting points back to the work of God's Spirit among us. It points back to the Spirit-led impulse of the early church who knew they had to connect with one another. They connected with a purpose— Now, as we see as this uh, study of Acts continues to unfold, we'll see that sometimes the church was, was a little too sticky, a little too connected, a bit too insular, because their mission was always to disperse, to go, to spread, to share. But they connected because that was their identity. That was part of their purpose. They were the body of Christ, joined together of diverse parts connected to do those things that God's Spirit enabled them to do. Miracles of healing take the work of the Holy Spirit, but so do acts of selfless sacrifice of our stuff so that somebody else might have enough. So my prayer is that we continue to look to God as the author of our story in this time and place. We continue to look to God's Holy Spirit is the protagonist in what's unfolding here at Bethany Covenant Church. And I pray that we keep our eyes on Jesus Christ through all of this. Jesus is the one who sent us, not just the first disciples, but sent us into all the world, beginning with right down the street. He's the one who calls us. He's the one who's faithful. And he's where we're headed together. Would you join me in prayer? Spirit of God, would you fall on us and fill us again? Spirit, would you use us and guide us as you desire? Fill us again for your glory and so that lives might be transformed by the Father's love. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.